Hi, welcome to the Bridge Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following message. For more information on all that's happening at the Bridge Church, please visit www.bridge-church.com. Thank you, everybody. And see, when I look out and look at you, I just think, Father, what a good father you are, that you've brought me here among friends. (laughs) I know that you're on my side. You're not going to judge me. (laughs) So I've put in the work all week. So it's really, (laughs) I'm depending on the Holy Spirit really to minister. It's not me. I've only done the work. But this coming to you from my mouth is really the Holy Spirit because nothing else is really any of any value. You know, so it's just life coaching, which we don't need when we've got the Holy Spirit. So, my assignment today from Pastor David is to speak on faithfulness as a fruit of the Spirit. Now, when we speak of faithfulness, we have to keep three truths in mind. First of all, God's faithfulness to us and to his promises the Holy Spirit's work in nurturing the seed of faith, as Pastor David said, as he dwells in our hearts and fills our human spirit with his life. And then our faithfulness to God and to one another as he knits us together as family, according to the pattern for building the kingdom of God as his co-workers. So while on earth, we will be involved in a clash of two kingdoms, the kingdom of God, the light, versus the kingdom of Lucifer, the darkness. And that's a contradiction in terms, in a way, because Lucifer means light, the light bearer, but yet his kingdom is dark. Everyone, I was thinking, you know, how can I put this across? And if you've ever watched The Chosen, you know Dallas at the beginning, he he sings that wee ditty, www.thechosen.com, something like that. Well, while I was sitting really, you know, trying to work things out on paper here, I heard this in my mind, www, and I thought, do you know, that's so who God is, www, he's the Father's will, the Son's word, the Father conveys his will to the Son, who then speaks it out as the word. And then the Holy Spirit, who's never separate from the word, starts to work it out in our lives. And so you can think of W, the will, W, the word, W, the worker. But WWW is also a net, a worldwide net. And that's where, it's a web, sorry, a web. That's where, actually, there's, there's a spider in my bedroom right now, dropping from the ceiling. Now, normally, I would, I would, do a wee, I would get the brush and, or I would tell Jim. <laughs> but um, suddenly, I don't know, I've been studying this spider. And... So I went on to Google to find out about spiders. And you know, when you're caught in the web, the spider actually ejects a fluid from his body that kind of stuns you. And then he wraps you in silk in a cocoon. And that's where, just let me get my place here. That's where it speaks of the devil's web of deceit, which he spreads worldwide to entrap us in a false sense of reality. Now, I know all about that because I was there. And if you, did you ever see the film The Matrix? Well, that's what this web is like. It's like a ma- matrix, which is really people were living their lives, but they were being controlled by a computer, and they didn't know it. They thought this was normal life. And so... Um, That's where we receive his lies as truth, calling darkness light and light darkness. Let me just add that I'm only using this as an idea. I've got nothing against the internet. (laughs) 
So don't think that I'm saying this. <laughs> anyway, so just wanted to say that at the beginning. So the word tells us that faithfulness is an attribute of God towards his people, as shown in Joshua 1, 5. When Joshua was preparing for battle to enter the promised land, God actually directed the operation. You know, and, and if you read that, you'll, you'll find that the commander of the heavenly host, the, the armies of heaven, actually stood before um, Joshua in full battle dress. And he said to Joshua, Take your this is holy ground you're standing on. And so Joshua understood that this, he was being led by um, the best of the best. And so and then in the New Testament, in Hebrews 13, 5, we read the promise that God will be with us to meet our needs. And I've found both these to be true, so true in my life as a Christian. Even the most devoted parents, this is where the, the wonderful Holy Spirit, you know, when I was teaching, I remember being in primary one. <laughs> That's when the kids, this is before nursery school and before playgroups and things like that. So the kids were coming in raw and their parents were with them, quite often dads as well. And they would all be crying. And the teacher had to try and prize the child <laughs> away from the parents. And then when the child got in the classroom, the child was fine. But we would notice when we looked out of the window at interval time, there were the parents again behind the school gate, trying to catch a glimpse of the wee one to see were they just standing on their own, being rejected by everybody, or were they joining in? <laughs> and so then at three o'clock, when it was time for home, that's when their noses were pressed up against the window, you know, trying to catch a glimpse again of the wee one in the classroom. And so it made me think, once I became a Christian, you know, when you become a Christian, all your life's experience in the natural, God used, there's nothing wasted. And it made me think of how the Holy Spirit never leaves us, never forsakes us. God doesn't trust anybody else with us except his Holy Spirit, you know. And so he never, he's in that classroom. He goes everywhere with us, even, even sometimes places we'd rather he wasn't going, you know. But he sees us, he's with us, and he protects us from so many things that we don't even know about. So um, that was just a wee kind of uh, example of that. Anyway, Jesus was the word made flesh who came into the world, bringing the Father's love to lost and dying people. Jesus had to return to the Father after the resurrection. He was the image of the unseen God, and he sent his Holy Spirit to conform us to that image. But even the apostles had to receive the Holy Spirit to become faithful imagers of Christ. They received the same Holy Spirit as we did when we were saved. So just as Jesus imaged the Father, we must image him with the Holy Spirit's help. You, that's clear, isn't it? You know, that, that that's the whole purpose. The Holy Spirit's with us to create in us the image of Jesus in this world. And, you know, I, I remember thinking, Jesus must have been so laden with fruit that no wonder the crowds followed him. No wonder. And each time he spoke, it must have punched such a hole in that matrix where most people were living. You know, and that's what we need. We have to do that now. So, right, next page. <clears throat> I've been, well, I told you I'd been studying spiders, so, right. Fortunately for us, <laughs> while we were cocooned in this silk, Revelation 13, 8 tells us that there had been a covenant made in heaven whereby the Son agreed to become flesh, live among us, and pay for our sin as the sacrificial lamb. That was agreed between the Father and the Son. That was before 
the beginning of the world, before the foundation of the world. That demonstrates the love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love and the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit, because that covenant has never changed. We, when we become Christians, we can honestly say we each have a lamb. That was what they had to have um, in Jerusalem, you know, when they were sacrificing. Everybody had to have the lamb. And, you know, the, the, the temple made money from that. But we have our lamb free, and it is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, that takes away our sin. We don't even know how much sin was in us until we become Christians. And then it has to be a gradual thing because I don't think we could stand it if, if it was all loaded on at once. So the amazing thing is that this covenant was made before the foundation of the world. It was agreed in principle. You know, sometimes when you buy a house, you get an agreement in principle before you actually take possession of the house. So this was an agreement in principle that was manifested on the earth at the cross thousands of years later. But to God, everything is the present. <clears throat> and it is the antidote to Satan's poisonous web. Jesus, again, I've said that, was so laden with fruit. But that's where he was headed, to the cross. So I hope you'll track with me when I tell you this is now me. This is my testimony. <laughs> oh dear. For the first 50 years of my life, I lived according to the world system, cocooned in silk. We were a Catholic family and didn't know any other way. I loved the lifestyle of having fun with friends. We were all kind of a big kind of community together, um, having a nice house and working as a primary teacher. We had long summer holidays and enjoyed the good things of life. We sort of lived as many did from one exciting experience to the next. Can anybody track with that? You know, you have to have something to look forward to. That's what keeps you going. So <laughs> the group of friends we had loved to discuss the meaning of life, who was God, and where would the next life be? We were well known as a tight-knit group of fun people. But sometimes a thought would hit me that there was more to life than this. So to offset this troubling thought, I threw myself into parish life and good works to balance things up. Sometimes I would feel bad when people would tell me what a good person they thought I was, because deep inside, there was an emptiness that I couldn't deny. And I think and I know that you'll know what I'm talking about. You know, the lonely times, the empty times. You don't let anybody into that or to know about it. You keep your mask on, you know, and everybody thinks that's you. So <clears throat> anyway, I went to confession one time and sort of told the priest about this, that I felt as though maybe I was pretending and maybe um, I was giving a wrong impression and people thought I was a better person than I, I knew I, I was. And his reply to that was, if it's working, don't knock it. <laughs> so now I understand one thing clearly, that priest was on the matrix, <laughs> trying to make me feel good, you know. Back to the spider in my bedroom. I know that I can sweep it away whenever I want. And that's what God will do one day with the devil's web, the world system, or the matrix. By the way, after today, that web is a goner. But <laughs> I've kept it. But, you know, it's just with the sweep of his hand. He sweeps away the things that are not pleasing to him. He sweeps away the things that don't glorify him. And that's why we've to constantly check that we're bringing glory and honor to him. That's, that's what matters, really. So anyway, one morning, 26 years ago, this is your bit now, Jim. Sorry, I have to dob you in. I learned from Jim 
that we were about to experience a financial crash, which he couldn't keep from me any longer. We might have to sell our lovely home, which had been the venue for so many parties. We would be poor for a while. How would I cope? And, you know, this happened after, uh, it's a shame in a way, but I got this chance to train as a special ed teacher. And so um, I had to go for a year up to Glasgow. And, and by this time, I was, I was 40 plus. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of confidence. And so I remember saying to Jim, how am I going to study and keep the house? And the kids will be needing their winter jackets and have to go and, you know, and I laid it all out to him. And of course, Jim being Jim said, don't worry, Francis, I'll do all that. Let's just change roles for the year. And that's what we did. I got my pocket money every Monday. <laughs> set off in my car and met with the friends uh, that I was making at college, you know, and so I could buy my scone and my coffee. <laughs> it was a great life. I loved being a student when I was young and I certainly loved being a student when I was older. And then when I would come home, everything would be done, you know, and the kids, I noticed something about them as well, and what I noticed about them was they were happy. They were much happier than they were with me. So I remember discussing this with Jim, and he said, well, there is a secret. If they eat their vegetables during the week, I let them get rubbish at the weekends. Well, do you know, I didn't even know, and I thought, why didn't I think about that? I had a battle every mealtime, practically. But I didn't even notice these things because I was so engrossed in studying and, you know, all of that. So Jim carried everything on. And then at the end of the year, I'd got so used to this freedom from care, really, that uh, I said to Jim, just in a joke, really, I said, um, <laughs> do you know, Jim, I could live like that. I could go on like this. This is great, you know. And Jim's reply was, well, there's no problem, because he said, I can get all the money that we need out of the bank. I can, you know, write a list and I can do the shop. Little did I know that Jim had failed miserably to make ends meet. <laughs> Instead of looking for bargains, he had sent the kids off to choose what jackets they wanted, and then he just bought them. Whereas I would, I would put in the shoe leather. <laughs> trying to get the bargains, you know. So anyway, and Jim thought, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, this will give me another year to get things sorted out without having to tell her. Well, of course, eventually he had to tell me. So that's, that's my part in that. I mean, I should really have been more responsible. But when this happened, and I remember it was parents' night at school, I could hardly get myself dressed that morning. I'm telling you, my brain was absolutely scrambled. But the first chance I got was, I, th I think, the Saturday after that. Um, I got down on my knees when I was in on my own, and I called out to God. And do you know what I said? I said, I've never had suffering, but now I'm up there with the best of them, and I really need you. <laughs> I was kind of patting myself in the back that I hadn't bothered them that much, you know. So I said, I'm up there with the best of them, and I really need you. But I, I've been, for 50 years, I've been listening to the priest, and I've not got anything from that. Come yourself. And I remember I challenged them. You'll come yourself and let me know that you're real. Now, after I was speaking to other Christians, I realized that's a common prayer. Lots of Christians pray that prayer when they come to faith, and they don't even know that it's, you know, it's really based on the Bible. If you, you know, God has to show up. So that was my prayer, but I didn't tell anybody. So a few, I did have peace. Immediately I'd prayed that. I felt as though I'd hit the bullseye in some way, you know, and I actually, um, I had a great sense of anticipation. And what happened then was a couple of days, could only have been a few days later, I got a phone call from somebody I'd never met who was actually the brother of, a, of somebody I did know. And he belonged to a community in Glasgow which was called, big word here, 
the neo-catechumenal community, and it was a Catholic community, um, but the Catholic Church didn't really approve of it because it was too fundamental. <laughs> anyway, uh, we found our way up there, and it was life-changing because they spoke of agape love in the dimension of the cross, and we were learning, you know, Abraham, different, different Bible characters were being presented to us, and I just found it absolutely fantastic. So for four years, we continued to go to that community, while at the same time going to the local church for Mass. And I remember going round the priests and saying to them, you know, this would really generate so much life into, into the parish if, you know, we were a community like this. Oof, no, they were horrified. So anyway... Uh, we went there for four years, as I say, but then eventually we were tired because I was working, Jim was working, we were traveling up to Glasgow twice a week, sometimes more, not getting home till 11 at night. So I got down on my knees in the same spot, I prayed again, and I asked for somewhere nearer. Now I stand here 20 odd years later to tell you that the last thing I thought was that I would leave the Catholic Church. It was all I knew, but I did. And this is how it happened. We were in uh, the garden center in Rook and Glen, and I met just a distant cousin, uh, Vince Gartland. <laughs> and uh, he actually asked how we were getting on. And I told him that Jim had just become a reflexologist because he did that in his spare time. And Vince asked if he could start coming uh, for reflexology. But we learned as well as that that Vince was the pastor of this, what the Catholics called Mickey Mouse Church <laughs> in, in Sawquits. And so the things we were learning in the community, he was talking the same language. And this really drew me. So finally, he invited Jim and I to the opening of Harvest in their new building. And we went, and you know, for the first time, I heard this minister, Sandy McCallum, talking about Jesus. And I actually, I knew that he knew Jesus. And that's what I wanted. And it took me 18 years to actually meet that guy again and tell him what a difference he had made. And I, that was at a time when he needed to hear that. See how God works everything to good, really. He works things out. Um, so... They were talking about a seven-week discipleship course they were running, and I signed up for it. And at the end of seven weeks, I'd found my home, and I didn't want to leave. And that was a problem then between the two of us, because Jim was still very attached to the Catholic Church, and we'd never been separated in our faith ever. So this was something that, again, the Lord had to work out. But eventually, Jim did come, and um, we remained there for years. So that was, that was harvest. Um, I was saved there and baptized, and it still felt right to go to Mass as well. So we were doing all that until, you know the scripture that talks about, it was Elijah on the mountain with the prophets of Baal, and he said, how long are you going to linger between two opinions? Now, I'm not talking about Catholics worshipping Baal, they don't. But I, had, I was wavering between two opinions. I was, you know, Harvest was my home, but the Catholic church, the local church where all my friends were, that was my tradition, that was, that was where I had, I had um, invested so much. But I had to stop, I had to make a, a decision and I know that that's probably something you all understand as well. We're asked to make decisions for God in the place that he's leading us to. You know, and it might be the Catholic Church, but it might not be. It might be somewhere very strange, very different. But if he's the one that's leading you, then you're safe. And so... Um, at Harvest, I began learning so much about the Bible, not to mention meeting people who were clearly 
of a different spirit. And that's where I, I understood something. You know, in the Catholic Church, we talked about a sacrament being an outward sign of an inward grace. And I remember saying to Jim, thinking at that time that I, I would be leaving, you know, I would, I would still be in the Catholic Church. And I said, before we leave here, I've got to tell those people that they are living sacraments. And that's how I felt about them, because they displayed such a spirit that I'd really not encountered that much. So, um, and I thank God for them as well, because I would never have met them. I would never have met. They were from all different walks of life, all different places. But we had so much in common, because we were family. We were family, and it was a heart thing that began to develop. And you need that. Don't ever think you can go it alone without your family, without your Christian family. So anyway, um, my whole worldview changed in those years at Harvest, and inevitably, I no longer appealed to some of my old friends, several of whom are now proponents of New Age philosophies, and you'll have heard this word, wokeness. Many people have heard wokeness. Yeah, They're awakened to... To, to the real realities of life. Um, sad. But anyway, uh, that's, that's all of that. And Oprah is their guru. So they want the principles of God in the Bible without Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. They don't, know, they don't understand their need for a Savior because they're woke. <laughs> you know, they're, they're awakened. At harvest, I came to know beyond all doubt that I was a sinner, saved by grace, and I felt real sorrow for my 50 years of sin and blindness, and I wanted more than anything to be an authentic Christian. And that is my prayer every day. I want to be an authentic Christian. I don't want to be a Francis-type Christian. I don't want to, be, to copy somebody else. I want to be an authentic Christian as God shows me through his Holy Spirit and be faithful to that. But again, I can't do it. We can't do it on our own. So <clears throat> having said all that, there were challenges to this from the enemy. And my first challenge was having to tell my boss in the Catholic school that I had left the Catholic Church, to which he replied in as gentle a way as he could, that I could well lose my job if the bishop so decided. But people at Harvest supported me in prayer and God protected me in amazing ways. Now, in the school, I used to, it was a great school and still is, but I used to take the hymn practice because at the time we had nobody who could play the piano and I had learned to play three chords on the guitar. And with those three chords, I could, I could accompany all our Catholic hymns. So I was the leader of the hymn practice. Well, what happened was a local child took ill with meningitis and the school was asked to pray. Since I always led the hymn practice, I was asked to lead the prayer. Now, they, they had never heard me pray like this before. There were no Our Fathers and Hail Marys and Glory Bees, and I prayed like a born-again Christian. I rebuked what the enemy was doing in that boy's life, and I prayed healing from the cross. And they'd never heard that before. But what happened was, although his limbs were already turning black, he recovered. And I mean, that boy just began to thrive. And I'm not saying that it was me, but I think this was one of the ways that, that the Lord kept me in that school, you know, rather than allowed me to get the sack. So then what happened after that was the children being, you know, the children, they were telling all this at home and there followed a whole list of prayer requests sent into the school. And it was the teachers, it wasn't me, it was the teachers asked me to lead a 10-minute morning prayer assembly in the open area where all the classes gathered for, from P4 upwards. They said that it saved them morning prayers in the classroom so they could then go on with the work if I did the praying in the, the open area. 
Well, even when I said prayers, sorry, even when I said I couldn't say the second half of the Hail Mary, you know, the first part of the Hail Mary is very biblical, but the second part is not. So um, they, they just said, don't worry about that, we'll say it in the classroom in the afternoon. So even then, that was, you know, I was, I was kind of prepared for a battle then, but there was nothing. And uh, so when one of the teacher's friends had a baby whose organs were reversed and who weighed only a pound, we really stormed heaven. And by that time, some of the children had started to pray in the same way. They'd started to ask if they could pray. And of course, we were praying in my classroom as well. And so they were learning everything I learned in Harvest, I taught in the classroom. <laughs> And I had this big fear that the pastor there spoke sometimes in not great grammar. <laughs> I, was I could hear his voice in my ear, and I would just give it to the kids, much the way that the Father, Jesus hears the Father and speaks out the word. I was a bit like um, that, you know, and I used to check my grammar when I was speaking to them. But anyway, that night, for that child, a surgeon was found in Paris, France, and he was flown over at midnight to perform this operation that there was nobody here could do. And that child grew then into a normal, a normal girl. And she's probably a mother herself now. But that was from being a pound, a pound. Well, the kids, the kids were thrilled, you can imagine. They just, it revved them up as well. So another baby was lying in the breech position and had to be turned. Now, this, this girl suffered from endometriosis. And turning, you know, any invasion uh, would have been damaging to her. So we were praying that the Holy Spirit, and I remember saying it, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to reach down with his mighty hand and turn that baby that's sitting on his bottom instead of doing a headstand. And so the kids are going, amen, amen. Well, we got a phone call to say, what time were you praying? Ten past nine. Well, that, that's when the baby turns spontaneously. So these things, the Lord just organized um, for me. And my biggest thrill came when it was my retirement. Um, and we, we had a meal at Choo Choo's, which no longer exists. We had a private room. And, you know, I was asked to make a speech. And actually, the Lord just grabbed a hold of my tongue and I prayed for everybody there, including the, the waiters that were standing there. Just prayed um, everything that the Lord wanted for them, you know, in their career, in their life, and that they would come to faith. And afterwards, this guy, who was obviously a, a new age type person, came up and said, I could see your aura. <laughs> <laughs> I knew the Holy Spirit had, had um, given me the courage it had taken. Well, it came out later that the bishop had had me investigated privately, but my colleagues had all stood up for me and said the spiritual life in the school was so much better. It's amazing. But then there were lots of accusations as well. Uh, I was accused of telling the kids there was no Santa. Well, I still really believe in Santa. <laughs> you know, it, was, it was a discussion in the classroom, and this boy said that, but it got back. Um, and, and these were the things. You never knew what was going to happen day by day to kind of unsettle you. But one really serious thing did happen, and I want to tell you this because it's just so like God to come to your defense but my best friend in the school, and we were best buds, and all the kids knew that we were like a twosome. And something happened, and she disapproved of um, me uh, making a choice to sit beside people she didn't like at a wedding. But I thought they'd be left on their own if Jim and I didn't go over and sit with them. Well, the next day at school, oh my goodness, the atmosphere you could have cut with a knife and there began, it was at least a week of torture in that place when she wouldn't speak to me, she wouldn't look at me. If I went into the classroom for something, you know, she was rude in front of the children. So eventually, 
I knew I was getting prayer as well, but I was told, take the opposite spirit. So I would go into the, class, into the staff room, bright and breezy, and she would just turn her head away. So it got to a head when I, I, she was on her own, and I said to her, look, I know we're not friends anymore. What do you mean? I said, well, it's obvious, but we must be colleagues. We've got to, for the sake of the kids and the young teachers, we've got to be colleagues. Do you agree to that? Yeah, okay. So I went home then, went into um, the house, and I was shaking like a leaf, walking up and down, praying. And I said, well, Father, now I've lost my best friend. How much more, you know, is going to happen as I travel this road? And then it struck me suddenly, and I think it's because my heart was sore, that if I lost him, what would I do? Suddenly I knew that he was first in my affections, and it took that to happen to show me that, that if I lost him, I, I would cease to exist. I would just be a shell. Anyhow, at that very moment when those words just left my lips and I was praying out loud, the phone rang. And I went to the phone and it was this girl, my friend, crying her eyes out, asking me, did I not realize that our friendship did it not mean anything to me that I was coming in bright and breezy and she was suffering so much? Now, do you see what I'm saying? The devil twists things. I was looking at her in a, a different way, in a human way, and she was looking at me. She was suffering because of what had happened and because she felt, too, that she'd lost me as a friend. So anyway, all I could think of was, Oh, God, you've done it for me. You know, now I understand. I understand that you're first and that you'll show that. You know, we've got to put you first. You are first in our affections. And everything else will fall into place. So I'd got that kind of settled in my mind. But next day when I went into school, there she was. Her eyes were all swollen. She'd have been crying all night. I bet you you have been as well. Well, I slept like a baby, and <laughs> but you know I wasn't unkind, and so I, I said, "Oh, I know." <laughs> but but you know that was a life lesson for me. It was it was part of my journey, you know, realizing that this God you can't play around with Him. He's first. So uh, right to get where I am now. That was a big challenge. The next thing was. My children, they had to be saved because, as I said to God, heaven will not be heaven if they're not there. And so I set about, you know, praying for them and doing everything in a human way. And again, I had to be pulled up. But God was very good. And sometimes when he unsettles you, it's so that he can resettle you. And that's what happened to Mary. Mary was swept away by this trumpet player in, in the orchestra where she worked, and um, this Irish guy. And so, oh, it was, she just was head over heels. But it fell through, and so Mary came home, and I seized the chance to take her to harvest. And you remember David Campbell? He prayed with her, and she was saved and harvest, and she never looked back. And what happened then was the trumpet player saw her at work, saw the change in her, and he wanted that, he wanted her back. So he followed her to harvest. And I can remember the pastor said, oh, we've been praying for a trumpet player, but God has given us the best. Look at this, you know. But I knew that guy was only there, you know, to try and get Mary back. But, and this is for all you ladies, and even the men, God can lift the wrong person right out of your heart. And that's what he did with Myrie. She just found him a nuisance after that. And yet she had been head over heels. So I knew that soul surgery had been done in her after she was saved. And so what she did was she applied for a job in Wales and she got it. He was gutted. I was gutted right enough because that was her going away. But she packed up her car came to church and left from the car park at church. And the, the parting words when she was saying goodbye to everybody were, 
When I came here, I was a broken bird with broken wings, but now I'm flying. And she left. And again, the first boyfriend she had that I knew was the right one came back into her life. And this time, Mary was first of all God's girl. And he saw, he saw that, and it wasn't that long before he became a Christian. And now they, they live in London, they've got four children, they work for the church together. Um, I just thank God for his wonderful plans for our lives, really. There's always somebody praying, you know, praying for us. So that was Mary. And then Claire was saved. She was in America doing an exchange year. And when she got home, she was saved after a conversation with a friend. And that was her. And she didn't look back. But Paul, my son, was a different story. And this is where, you probably know this, don't you? <laughs> this is probably <laughs> the hardest thing the Holy Spirit's ever had to say to me. But we were at harvest, as I said, coming in. It was as though you were coming in from heaven. But my drunken son, there he was after a, a weekend in the tiles, lying hungover in, in the, you know, with the fire on and Brookside, the omnibus on in the television. And of course, we march in. Jim's always so careful. I'm so not. I went in, switched the telly off, switched the fire off, and said, look, we don't, we don't have that kind of stuff in here anymore. Self-righteous thing that I was. So he said, his reply was, see if you're going to bash me with the Bible every time I come home. Well, I'm not going to come home. Well, I really understand how Mary felt when a sword pierced her heart because a sword pierced my heart and I flew into the kitchen, sat down at the table and the Holy Spirit spoke to me then. He said, you are getting in my way. These were his words. And I'm getting in your way. This is my duty to, to, to pass the faith on to my son. He said, no, your duty is to love that boy. He said, that's the one commandment you've been given right from the lips of Jesus. Love him. You do that, and I'll be able to do my bit. But right now, you're slowing me down. And honestly, those were his words. I, don't, I didn't hear a, don't think that. I didn't hear a booming voice or anything. But the words were so clear in, in my spirit. You know, so that humbled me. And I made a decision in that kitchen. Right, this is the new Francis now, the new mum. So every time he would come home, I would say, even if he was in the drunken state and all of that, I would say, did you have a nice night out? Did you enjoy your night? I never uttered one word of condemnation. Is that right, Jim? After that, condemnation. So what happened then was Claire invited him to an alpha, and he was saved there. And when he was giving his testimony <laughs> in the church in Glasgow, he said, the biggest thing that spoke to me was the change in my mother. And I thought, I can't believe that. The Holy Spirit's so wise. We should listen to, we've got to listen to him. You know, and it's trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding the way I always did. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge him first. Talk it over with him first before you, before you take a wrong step. So that was, that was that. But sad to say, Harvest, and, and now Paul, he's married uh, with four children. They live in Australia, and he sometimes preaches in his church. So the Holy Spirit had the plan. Eventually, harvest closed to the great sorrow of the people. I'd only ever experienced love there, but in another church situation, things were very different. The leadership thought the best way to go about things was the way I was going about things, a list of your faults, and then watch you to see if you correct them. <laughs> so that was a hard time. But around that time, some of the young people in the church the young uh, women in the church approached Jim and I and asked if we would start a house church. And we were, as Charlene would say, we were pondering this. <laughs> we 
we were pondering it a lot, when I had a dream, and in this dream, I was down in Salkos, and I saw this new lighting shop that had opened up, I'd never seen before. And when I went in, it had a really plush blue carpet and all this stainless steel lighting. And then I heard this announcement, we're closing today, and we want you just to take anything you want. Just take it. You don't need to pay for it. But I thought, none of this really is my taste. But then the next thing was, there's another floor upstairs, a bit more traditional. So upstairs I went, and there was this lamp. I'd never seen anything like it in my life. It was on a stem, and the shade turned round, and it threw colours into all the walls. And I thought, oh, I want this. I'll take this. So I phoned Jim, told him, to, this is in the dream, told him to come down and we collect this lamp. So we went with the lamp home. And when we got home, I tried it first in one room, then in another, then in another, and there wasn't a single room that that lamp suited. And so then I woke up and I told Jim about this dream that had been so vivid. Well, he was, he was an early riser, and he was going down to do his quiet time. Well, he went down, and shortly after that, he came running back up the stairs, and he said, look, I, I know the interpretation of that dream. He said, we're not to have a house church. We don't have a lampstand. And he had been reading Revelation. He didn't go there. That was just where he was at in his, his reading. But he said, we don't have a lampstand. And that settled my heart. You know, and thank God we didn't, because I don't know what would have happened. Um, so, finally, we came to the bridge in Irvine. At the request of two close friends, we had made at Harvest. It was there that doing Bible school impressed on me the absolute necessity of being in the Word every day. Psalm 119, 105 calls the word a light to my path and a lamp to my feet. So every step has to be lit by the power of the Holy Spirit who brings the word to life in our souls. So never ask how much life is in the word, but how much word is in your life. And you know, each step is so vital because a single step can actually begin to lead you astray. It is so clear that we have to follow exactly where the Holy Spirit leads. When difficulties came at the bridge, I recognized the signs of discontent, etc., from past experience. And that stood Jim and I in good stead. Our good friends left, but we stayed. It was an emotional wrench, but I had a sense of anticipation that God was going to do something new. I began to feel a love for co-winning. You know, the song that began, um, the land of the living, I'm thinking the land of co-winning. <laughs> um, and I began to feel this love, and I was so happy when we came back here. Where I think this, this is where the church had begun. Knowing that you are in the church that God has assigned you to, and where he has nourished you, gives you strength to stand, even though you don't know the way forward. Things in church are not meant to be rosy all the time. And if we can't, we can't stand as a family and lean on one another and gather together, then we will be defeated. But it's so important, and we've got to forgive one another offenses, because that's the bait of the, the, the devil Take, he offers the bait. It's up to us if we take it. So being here with this family of believers under the leadership and the preaching of the man God has clearly appointed to take us through these difficult times ahead, when like Jesus, displaying the fruit of faithfulness will draw people to us. It's the result of the Spirit's faithful gardening of my heart. Jesus calls ordinary people and empowers them to live extraordinary lives as his faithful followers. But this is a lifelong process. Now, the Holy Spirit is like the gardener. And I was, I was like, and you'll 
track with this probably. I was like a wild branch that needed to be plugged into the, the vine. And the vine dresser, if you know anything about them, they have to make a wound in the vine to match the wound in the, in the branch. And then they bind that up. And only the vine dresser knows when it's time to take that bandage off. And then you can't see the join because the sap is flowing. And that's really what church is all about. It's been plugged in. So we were these broken branches and we were grafted onto the vine. We all have the sap of the vine, Christ, flowing in and through us. Now we are people of a different spirit. And this empowers us to do supernatural things. Now, when I first came to the, nearly finished now, when I first came to the, the bridge, Pastor Bernie preached this sermon. And I just thought, again, it was amazing. And it was all about the race. And when I went home, the Lord just gave me this. And we're running, the, the, this is for us as a family. We're running the race together. We're running with one another, with the Spirit in full measure in every sister and brother. The prize is set before us, and the Spirit has us fueled. We're energized and ready, inspired by the Word. For we're running for our nation. We're following our King on the path He set before us, and we are going to win. We'll beat off every challenge, every hurdle we will clear. We're re reaching for the kingdom, and the kingdom's very near. If the enemy tries to stop us or tries to take us down, then the voice of the Spirit will shout for the crown. This race was set by heaven for us to take the land. The signal has been given as on our faith we stand. The Father's eyes are on us as we begin to run, and everyone is catching the beat of a heavenly drum. Our hearts are beating wildly, but we will not give in till Scotland's flag flies proudly in the courts of our King. The Father's eyes are shining as we pass the finishing post, and Jesus shouts for Scotland, the land the enemy lost. Thanks for listening. Remember to visit our website, www.bridge-church.com, and connect with us via Facebook and Twitter.